0: If you won, 10% goes to the Lord. (laughs) If you lost, we're having prayer after the Eucharist. (laughs) I hope you got some rest. Apparently some are still figuring out how to get here, but we're here to be blessed by the Lord. And uh, the breakout speaker this morning is uh, a man of God. has a great family and, uh, and has a church in Bel Air, Maryland. And I mentioned him in the word that every year on Corpus Christi goes out in the neighborhood and takes, literally takes Jesus on on the streets back and forth. Has exciting stuff going on. He's a terrible golfer, but a great preacher, Father Rob Northwood. (laughs) glad to be here. Thank you, Patriarch, for having me speak. And I just want to say it's been a real blessing to be here. I've watched all the things that have been put together here, and thank God I didn't have to do all those things, you know. Um, but Bishop Kessler and the whole team here, this has been just awesome. Really great. Praise God. Yeah. So this morning, I was just, uh, when I was working on this, uh, a I was starting to be meditating upon the idea of army, the the word army, and as we were gathering together, I was thinking, God, okay, what are you saying about this? And, you know, when I was thinking about the topic, and we're given kind of an idea of one family at a time, that God wants to raise something up, and he wants to do something, and it's with that thought that I I began to really let this word sink in, and, and this whole idea that army sends you to a military thinking right away and you start to begin to think God what are you doing and and of course he's the captain Jesus is the captain of the hosts captain of the heavenly army and that you know we understand that as people here on earth the church on earth is the church militant the church in heaven of course the church triumphant and the two of those work together in a sense that those have won their rest they they're praying for us or they're surrounding us there's a witness to what we're doing here on the earth and as we were thinking about that, you know, we live in a time sometimes that we get really discouraged, but in a way we're in a majority and we've got a set goal and a set uh, a mandate from God. And we are participating in the, both with the witnesses of heaven and the witness on the earth of Christ and his overcoming power. And so the word army has to make you ask a couple of questions. And one of the questions it made me ask is what is the engagement and what's the mission that we've come to overcome and uh, as you begin to think about that, that the, the, the church is set on mission. They're set on an idea that we're to be moving forward, that we're to be taking things and shutting things and doing things. That, that it gives us a lot of uh, encouragement that God has not set us here um, to be overcome. He set us here to be overcomers. And so we have to begin to look at that uh, this morning as uh, I was thinking of our the talk that I would have, the piece that I would bring, really enjoyed both uh, Father Eric and Father Eddie as they brought really good uh, good points there. So with questions like these, you know, we're beginning a discussion and testifying how the church and specifically how we can in the CEC in America uh, raise up an army. How are we going to? How are we going to make this happen and how are we going to do this? And, of course, we're given a tactic of one family at a time, which is which is a chewable situation. It's a biteable thing. We, we just need to look at how can we reproduce families that are going to bring about the work of Christ, that are going to begin to set things free, that are going to be doing some of the things that we see our Savior himself is doing. And so... I believe some of the wisdom of Solomon that says that you know there's nothing new under the sun. The church doesn't really have a new mandate. The church doesn't the church may switch some tactics because of a cultural situation. It may change a few ways that we do things, but it really doesn't change what we have to do. That mandate doesn't change and that whole that whole understanding doesn't change. So the church has this uh the same mandate in a way that the ancient church had. And as the ancient church had, it, it began to follow the, the Holy Spirit under the commander Jesus to do the will of the Father. And I believe that's what God's calling us to do in the CEC. I think sometimes we make things complicated when we try to figure out new ways to do something. When If we just do what, we're, what the church has been doing well, we can really see the power of it. Certain things just work when you do them well. Um, and so one of the things that I believe that we want to discuss is that there's this um, there's a struggle that's you know that we're a part of. There's this struggle that when we start to look at what's been set in place, Jesus Christ came and turned the world right side up. And in that process, you become a stranger and a sojourner. I love what Bishop Bates said last night. You know we're aliens and we're trying to make more. And you know that was a good word because in a way we're we're struggling in a thing that's already done, yet it's not done, where there's certainly a war, but there's a there's a war that's been, the end of it is not up in the air, how it's going to finish, how it's going to work through. So as an army, we're starting to raise, it, raise up and we're starting to realize that that's a militant operation. It's not a passive operation. The kingdom of God is not passive. In fact, it's supposed to be aggressive. The church itself is called to shut the gates of hell and you know, one of the ways that we do that is by prayer. I mean, we were at the uh, clinic this morning, you know, and, and Bishop Kessler was leading the, uh, the liturgy there. That's one of the ways we do it. We begin to stand at those gates, and we begin to speak to them. And God starts to do things, and he starts to move. So we must consider, you know, I was thinking about the state of affairs and where we find ourselves, because we've been given a time and a place of which we're to minister, whatever it is in America, wherever you live, whether you're here in Las Vegas, or whether you're in Los Angeles, or whether you're in Baltimore, whether you're in New York, whether you're in Florida, wherever you are, Texas, we've got to consider, though, in a country where the church has always, the church in America has always been sectarian. It's always been a divided church. It's always been, you know, that's the very warning that St. Paul gave in the beginning of the book of Corinthians to the Corinthian church about sectarianism. You know, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Catholic, I'm a, the, you know, and, and that begins. So we, we know we're coming from a place of, of division within the church and, you know, that, that witness of those things. So we live in a country where we believe Christianity is synonymous with being American. We believe that be, to be an American means you're to be a Christian. I think we've woken up to that to some degree. But we're called to serve in a place that has adopted many, many of the hellish ideologies of which we have fought against in the past. You know, the fascists um, believed in, they were fighting for racism in a, in a pure country. You know, the, uh, the Bolsheviks are fighting class wars. And, and, and when you see any of those things open up, you begin to see abortion. You begin to see marriage not being valued and all the things that you've heard talked about during these times. And, and in many ways in this country, we've adopted those very, those very ideas um, under the name or the flag or the banner of individual rights. And in that process, we're in a place where, you know, obviously evil's called good and good's called evil and righteousness is, uh, you know, it's kind of not only frowned upon, but uh, hated. And where we have to go in that place, and I believe, is that we're in a really great place for revival. I believe we're in a place where, where the darkness gets darker, in some ways the light gets lighter. It gets very clear. It's not, it's not, so, um, it's not so gray. So one of the things that I want to say this morning or talk about is that as we look at these things, as we look at what happened in the last century or we think about those things, of how those whole ideologies changed the world, brought the world to war several times, that we've adopted a lot of those things within the country. So when you're feeling oppressed or you're feeling like you're fighting something, it's because you're fighting something. It's because you're warring against something. It's because even without words or even without you doing anything, you can feel it within your flesh. You can feel it within your spirit. You can feel it within your soul that you're in a battle. You could walk around here and kind of feel battle, right? And I believe that those things are what we, we need to understand. You know, when we look at some of those people, you know, the communists said that religion is the, the opiate of the masses. And I believe that opiate is the opiate of the masses, you know, I believe that it's not religion that's been the problem. It's, it's that we live in a world where people are running from the truth. They're running from God. And the light of the gospel still works. So as we, uh, as we go forward, you know, we look at that playbook where the devil's come in. He's come into the church. He's got us convinced that we can't raise children that aren't going to go astray. He's, he's convinced us in the church that we're not going to have uh, solid marriages. We're not going to have people that are able to stay together like 47 years and all these other things. And, and and I really believe that we believe that stuff. We believe that all of those kids need to go wild and that everybody's going to do their thing and that you can't tell them anything and you can't teach them anything. And that's not what the Scriptures teach us. They don't teach us that, He says, train up a child in the way he'll go and when he's old he won't depart. And, and we do need to believe that the Scriptures work for us. So as I was looking at this, um, I was just looking at the timelessness of both The work of the enemy against us, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I was also looking, quite frankly, at the timelessness of the gospel and the things that have worked. It's not fatalistic. It's not depressing. It's just the war. It's just the battle. That Jesus Christ is a warrior king, and he's come. And it says, since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. That there's a war, there's a battle, there's a pushback. You know, I was thinking about it. When I was a, uh, a young guy, I never did like to get into fights. I just didn't. I got into a lot of them, but I didn't like it. And, you know, one of the things I've always hated is a bully. I hate bullies. I hate people that get really, you know, they got to put someone else down and just stand over them and bully them. And that's really what the devil's done to the church in many ways we 've allowed him in to bully us we've allowed him in to, to take that situation you know and it's when we when we we drop our guard or we won't fight back that he's very happy the father of lies to be the father of your children the father of the future he's, he's loves to tell you who you are and who your identity is and I just hate that it makes me want to fight back and I and I hope that's the feeling you have as we look at what the future of the CC and and what God's calling us to do is to rise up he's given us something that's pretty different than most most of our brothers and sisters right now in the body. And I really believe he's made us a forerunner in many ways. He's he's called consensus together. Some people would argue that there's many forms of three streams in other churches. I don't see it. I'm not arguing. I just don't see it. I don't see where there's a lot of churches where the three streams have come together. And so we take the ancient church's um, ability to bring that back. And I think that one of the things is that, that encourages me is that God takes such a long view of things. One of the things that I was in New York in um, July, and I happened to hear uh, Bishop Jones speak, and he said, he said when he was a young man, he was really interested in the acts of God. He was really interested in watching God move. What you know, miracle, a sign, a wonder, somebody healed. He says as he got older, he's more interested in the ways of God. And I started thinking about that. That's such a cool thing. Because the ways of God are a longer view. They're not quite so immediate. I mean, we need those things. We need the miracles and the signs and wonders. But the ways of God, oh, that's different. And so I thought about the idea that with God, he says to him, a thousand years is like a day. That's what he says in St. Peter. He said in Peter's epistle, he says, for me, for God, a thousand years is like a day. So... One of the things that happens a lot of times if you look at church history is the beginning of a new millennial is very important. It sort of sets the tone for the next thousand years. You know, in 1054, the church split east and west. We went through the last thousand years, the second day of the church, if you will, if if a thousand years is like a day. The second day of the church, we spent the entire thousand years basically divorcing ourselves. And so here we are at the, at, the, at the beginning of the third millennium, the third day of the church, and I really believe we're going to see resurrection. I believe the church is going to rise up, and I believe we haven't seen the best day of the church. I really don't believe we've seen the best day of the church. I believe we have a witness that, that still has power. I believe we have a witness that still has strength. I believe that even if the group is smaller Than it maybe should be. Maybe everyone that claims Christianity is not a Christian. But if we are willing to, to take on that banner, if we're willing to walk out that with faith, what will God do? Most of the miracles that you see recorded in the Scriptures are about faith. God said, even Jesus, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he says, I couldn't do many miracles there because they didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, all I could do was heal some people. And getting healed in this earth, although... It's great, and if you need healing, it's an excellent thing. It's basically kicking the can down the street. It's only a matter of time. You don't get, you know, the, the best. The best miracles of God are salvation. The best miracles of God are when He transforms lives into the generations. And I really believe that God's wanting to continually release a generational anointing on this church. You know, it's so great to hear Father Eddie talk about the days with Bishop Adler. Um, I started remembering convocations. One of them was when we went to the Philippines. And I remember you feel like you've flown for a week. And you finally get there. And it was like probably four in the morning or five. It was just getting light. And we get off this plane. and I mean, we're just dog tired, kind of disoriented. And uh, Bishop Adler's standing there to greet us all. And he's out there that early in the morning just to greet us all and say, Welcome, I'm glad you made the trip and you did these things. And I thought, Man, what a great, great witness of... Um, the importance of what we were doing. And, and uh, I thought about San Clemente in, in uh, 2000 and uh, that great convocation there. And just a number of them, the, the one in Spain a few years ago. We've had some great times together. And I believe the Lord is, is um, leading us into um, some good days here. And when we, when we look at the idea of today, when we're talking about an army and, and uh, military, and, and doing these works, I want to talk about it in three ways. First off, I want to look, talk about the mission of Christ and the mission of the family, and then I want to talk about the attraction to other families. So Luke 4 is a real pivotal chapter, and two things, two major things happen there among others. One, it begins, the chapter 4 of Luke begins with the baptism of Jesus Christ, that he goes out to that place, and of course the dialogue with John, you shouldn't, I shouldn't be baptizing you, and of course I need to one of the things that happens which goes along with a lot with what Father Eric said uh, two days ago is that there's an identification with the family of God. That as Jesus goes and he comes up out of the water, God himself, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and God himself says to Jesus, and a lot of times we just look at Jesus only in his divinity and don't recognize his humanity. But he says these words to Jesus. He says, this is my well-beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. And then this really curious thing happens. It says, then the Spirit drives him out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to be tested. And the testing there is a test that's not unlike Genesis 3 at the fall. It's a test where Eve didn't quite believe. What the enemy sold Eve was that God had kept the best for himself. That he's sort of kept. That he he's given you a good thing, but he's really kept the best for himself. And all sin starts there. It all starts. Every sin you've ever done starts to believe come from that place. That when we believe that God has kept some better thing, that the sin's better than obedience. That the the sin's better than. just believing God for what he said. So Jesus is driven out, and of course the devil offers him these things, and he basically says, I'll give you everything. I'll give you a great name. You'll be over all these things in the earth if you just one caveat, worship me. And he stands at that place, and he just remembers the words of God his Father, I'm certain, at his baptism. This is my beloved son. This is the one. You're the one. I love you. And that, in, that involvement or that, in, that in, um, understanding that God's our Father is the beginning and basis for all ministry. It's the basis of what we're doing, and that's what Father Eric did a great job illustrating. But the second part of uh, chapter 4 it goes into the whole idea of Jesus beginning a ministry, an earthly ministry. And he begins to say what, what is the truth. And he says this, he says these words as he stands up. He actually quotes Isaiah in the second part of 4. And he stands up in the synagogue and he says to everyone, this is what it's about. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was what he was going to do. That's what he did. He began to speak that the kingdom of God is here, that because of God's heart there's reconciliation available, that captives can be set free, that it doesn't matter how strong the enemy is over you, it doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, it doesn't matter how much the enemy has convinced you to isolate, it doesn't matter how much the enemy has convinced you you're alone, it doesn't matter how much the enemy has convinced you that there's nobody like you, or that if you ever told your sins out loud that nobody would love you, you know that's what he does right he tells you oh go ahead and do it everybody's doing it and then as soon as you do it he says you dirty right no 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 you know nobody's going to love you if they ever knew that stuff and he lies he's a liar so what happens is, is jesus stands up and makes this proclamation of which he carries out and he gives the mandate Like a good Jewish rabbi, those who followed him are taking on where they eat where he eats, they're they're sleeping where he sleeps, they're speaking what he speaks, they're watching what he's doing, and they just keep going. The church keeps carrying out this very mandate that's seen in Isaiah's prophecy in Luke 4 where the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And we need to be an anointed people of God, that we just carry the anointing of God, the power of God to see things transform, and that as we walk, as we move, We preach the gospel to the poor. The good news that God is not mad. He's not angry at us. He's not waiting for us. He didn't come to us because Romans it says He knew we were enemies when He came. And He comes to us and and He's aware of our situation and He comes into our situation. He sent us to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to see people set free from bondage, ideologies from physical bondage spiritual bondage the power of the enemy can't hold back the church it can't hold back those words sometimes I think we believe the enemy more than we believe the words of God that God really gives the church power that when you pray things happen when you pray things happen don't be discouraged don't be discouraged and so you know Jesus, we follow him and we go, well, sometimes we look around and we go, well, well, who's supposed to come? What's supposed to happen here? And I think we can easily see, you know, if you're not sure, just walk downstairs in the lobby. The fields are ripe. They're ripe. If you can't see that there's a ripe field in front of you for picking, um, just ask the Lord to remove the uh, cataracts. Because it's there, it's just right there in front of you. There's there's a world that's lost. I mean, not just a little lost, more than a little lost. They're they're in a place where you know that that they um, they don't even know where the basic boundaries are. You know, we live in a time where people don't even know if they're male or female. I mean, that's pretty basic. You know, usually that that's one of those things you sort of know after you're born, but. What happens is, is you know, that, that Jesus, in, in Hebrews ten nine it says he's come to do God's will. What Jesus set out to do was the will of the Father. What we need to do is set out to do the will of the Father through Jesus. What we do is we take the power of the Holy Spirit and move in the kingdom and start to see things step back. Um, one of the things that I really believe that's going to help this church grow is that as we learn to foster, like we have here, just foster God's presence. To allow God to move, just to seek his presence. And where his presence is, that's where he's moving. You know, it says the Holy Spirit's like the wind, and we don't know where he's going. But if we, if we follow the Holy Spirit, where he's going is where he wants to work. And he does these things. So I believe that as the church learns to just sit at the feet of Christ, to learn to foster his, his presence, he's going to do miraculous signs and wonders. He's going to do things. Sometimes it takes longer than we want. Sometimes it really does seem like it takes a long time to get somewhere. But we're entering into a new, um, a new level of need, and God is always available. And so I think if we think of that word, the ways of God, how does he do things? Well, he, he starts to put a church somewhere. And sometimes it's really small. If you look at even the New Testament, he would just, you know, I was talking about this the other night. You know, when, when St. Paul figures, okay, I know what God wants to do. Anybody ever thought that? You know, I know what God wants to do. He wants me to go to Asia. And St. Paul says, and God said, all of Asia was shut to me. Well, to me, that's a really big miss, you know. That's like the dartboards over there and you're throwing over here when all of Asia shut to you. And then he says, well, maybe Bithynia. And he says, no, Bithynia was closed. And so all of a sudden he has a dream in the night and God says, he sees the Macedonian, the Thessalonican, calling out to him and saying, come here. And as he goes there, God plants a church there. In a really hostile environment in greece it's not, it wasn 't easy it wasn 't an easy plant but that 's where God wanted to plant so wherever you are, whatever your parish is doing and whatever you 're doing it 's not because it 's too hard it 's not because there aren 't people there that are ready to be saved it 's not because there 's not people there that are ready to get into the kingdom it 's that we just need to hear the Lord which one 's God who do you want me to go to next who 's the Who's the one that's going to bring a bunch of people with them? Who's the one that has some, some of the charisms the church needs right now? You know, a lot of times we're missing pieces in our churches. Maybe you don't have a musician. Well, start praying for God to bring a musician to Christ. You know, sometimes we're looking for that musician to just show up with, you know, fully trained and, and, and have all those gifts. And I really just believe that as we, as we press into the Lord, he's going to do these things. Um, when we talk about family... Um, I am a a child of uh, parents that were Christians. They were born again. Uh, They were Episcopalians. They were born again. Sometime in the early 70s, I remember going to healing services when I was a little kid, and I used to be scared to death that those big people were going to follow me, and uh, we we went to those places where it seemed like no church in those days were ever air-conditioned, you know, and everybody had fans going and all kinds of things happening, and a lot of hallelujahs, and, you know, I I just remember lines and and God doing all kinds of amazing things, and for me, along the way, I stopped going to church some probably around 16, so this whole thing that I'm talking to you about, I've lived, I I became rebellious, um, pretty wild in some ways, and and, and God apprehended me, and one of the things that God and I talked about um, when I said, I'll come back to you, is I said, if I'm going to come back to you, I don't want to play church. I don't want to play church. I want to see the dead rise. I want to see the blind see. I want to, I, if it's in the scripture, I want to see it. I don't want to be part of something that's, that's yesteryear. I want to be part of something that's alive today and well. And he's been really faithful in that. So as I pursued him, it was a few years later that um, I met my wife at a healing service, Sarah, and uh, we got married, and um, God has put us on a whirlwind tour since then, so... I was 27 when I got married, Sarah was a few years older than I was, and we knew that we wanted to have a big family. And also knew that God had said to me I was going to be a pastor, and somehow I had to figure out seminary and all those places. And there was a lot of doors closed at the time, you know, because I was looking at this church and that church, and I won't get into that, but for different reasons, they just weren't the fit, they weren't going to fit for me, they weren't fitting for our life situation. And all of a sudden in 1994, I got a call from a former bishop in the CEC who said, I'm going, into the, I'm going to be going into this new communion, and I think you're supposed to come in, and I think you're supposed to go to seminary. And uh, it was one of those real moments in our lives where we were ready to buy a house, and it was in the midst of that conversation that this call came in. And, and we began to follow that out of, what's the CEC, and we started talking about it and looking at it, and it was like answering, it was checking down every box that we had. Because we had been in places where we wanted communion, and we couldn't get communion in the evangelical setting we were in. And we were charismatic, um, and we believed in the gifts of the Spirit, and God was moving us. We would pray. Things would happen. And so we would go to other places to go to get that, and we would, we would put all these things together. And it was like, man, we were driving here, sometimes two hours away to get one part of what we have here. And for me, it was just a really great thing to see it all come together, and it was like a dream, because it just wasn't there a day ago. You know, in 1992, I guess this came together, and so in '94, when I'm talking about that, it was hardly a believable thing that this could all come together. It was what I'd prayed, but couldn't put words to. So as we came together, we began to have we began to uh, have children, and we've had. Um, we had, we've had ten conceptions and, and six births, all of them cesarean. And we fought through that, and, and my wife's been really, really faithful. And we've got a family now that we as has always been. My children were baptized in the CEC. My children have always been in the CEC. My children believe. They believe and follow God with a passion, which is really a cool thing. And not only that, but they really believe that God's really going to do something exciting in this church. And they do. They're passionate about it. Not only my children, but other children in the parish, and there's a lot of young people getting excited about what we're doing. And sometimes you know, what we have to do is remind ourselves as the older guys that unless we dream dreams, the young men won't see visions. Unless we begin to believe again with an enthusiasm that God's not done and he's moving and that these three streams came together not to be three streams together, but to be a river a river of life, a river of power, a river of strength, that if we believe that, that others are going to rise up and believe it and they're going to take their place. And the family of God is a is a very key thing. And so one of the things, again, when I talk about fostering, fostering God's presence, one of the ways that we've done it as a family is we mostly have been faithful, most mostly been faithful to have morning prayer together every day. At the end of morning prayer every day, I bless my children. And we we live in a life together that way. Now, we homeschool them so that some of that indoctrination that was talked about earlier wouldn't be quite at the problem, although I believe that you can have godly children that go to public school or private school or whatever school. But I know this, that that it's a, a work. It's a garden that you're working in. And if you raise up a family, whoever you are, especially young people, if you start to raise up a family, that believes in God, that that puts their presence there, that goes to confession, that does the things that... These are the gifts that have been given to us. We have the sacraments. They love Eucharist. They go to confession. They're confirmed. They do the things that... They're just the basic things that we've been given. If we do those things, that God's going to be part of that. If you raise up families like that, you're going to raise families into the generations. And I believe that the generational power is really, really interesting you know one of the things that happens in that I, that one of the charisms God's given me is deliverance or exorcism and I've done a lot of it and a lot of it's based on generational stuff a lot of it is a lot of healing someone in that area is taking names off of them that someone else put on them a lot of it is breaking things that have been that have been put upon them that were generational things that they couldn't even see coming so if you can do that if you could if you can break generational masonry, if you can break generational witchcraft or generational depression, if you can break those things, then what can you do with generational faith? What can you do with generational belief? What can you do with generational um, hope? And that's, that's one of the things that I really believe God talks about so much in the Scriptures is that those strongholds, that we start to believe the various things that we've been given. We start to believe in consensus government. We start to believe in some of these tools we're given. And we're going to have power. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. There's a couple of psalms this morning that I wanted to just touch upon a little bit because they're psalms of ascent, and I believe we're in a season of ascent. I believe we're going to rise up, and I believe that that name of this convocation is very important to us to rise up. You know, one of the words that have been, we've been dealing with at reconciliation for at least five or six years ago, the word awake, get awake. Wake up, wake up. You're slumbering. You know, Bishop Mike likes to talk about the, uh, the waste of noonday, that there's this, there, there, this, um, like you people are present, but they're not present. And God started working that, and we've been praying that into being. And and I really believe people are starting to wake up and see what's around them and not be afraid, not be just inwardly minded, but be outwardly minded. Start to look outside. Psalm 127, one of the psalms of ascent says, Unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor who build it, those who labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. For it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, or to eat bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. And uh, verse 3 says this, part of the ascent. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. That word that Father Eddie had about just receiving what God has for you. Children are a gift. And when we start to believe that, we start to receive the gift. And we go, I've heard every one of the things he talked about don't you know what causes that you know how are you going to get them all to college how are you going to do this how are you going to do that if you listen to that insanity that's fear that's what it is it's fear if you listen to fear fear is going to tell you what to do if you listen to god and you realize that nothing's coming to you that didn't come by his throne then he's going to give you the strength ezekiel 47 talks about this guy who goes out into the water and he says he goes out about to his ankles And then he goes out to his knees, and then he goes out to his waist, and then he goes out to his chest, and then he gets in this water that's over his head. And on the side are the dead marshes, the places where the, the people didn't want to get in the deep water played, and it's dead. But unless when we get into the will of God, it always has to be over our head. It has to be over our head. If it's not over our head, it's not causing us to have faith. It's not causing us to reach out. It's not causing us to need God. So if your plan is big enough that you can do it by yourself, then that's not God's plan. It's your plan. And what I believe that he wants us to know is that if we fear the Lord, he's going to take us into places that seem really deep. And that can be a lot of children for you if you're a young person. I know nobody's talking about that. I hear the awful things. Oh, You know, women who have a lot of children, they're called breeders and all kinds of things. Like they're just less than. Like why would you do that to your body? Your body's fading. Your obedience. The fruit of the womb is the reward, it says in in this psalm. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. That God is giving you those around your table, the ones that are sitting with you. And if you're past the age, then help somebody who's raising up kids. Because he's given you these as warriors. They're warriors. You're going to be under... you're You're not going to have an army around you when you get old. If you didn't raise up warriors when you were younger. And so, the, like the arrows in the hand of the warrior, so are the children in one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be ashamed, but he shall speak with their enemies in the gate. God wants to give us a families. He wants to, he wants to build up a family. It, the, 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 the idea that we would overtake by mere numbers is really a workable program. It's a workable deal, you know? If not, guess what? Our enemies are willing to do it. Islamic people are having a lot of babies. The other psalm that follows it is uh, Psalm 128, the other psalm of ascent there, and it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways, and he says, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. How many people would love to just be happy and content with what they've been given? And I believe as Christians, that's who we are. If we fear the Lord, He's going to give us a contentment with what we've got. He said, "When He said, you shall, your wife shall be a fruitful vine, and in the very heart of your house, and your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus the, shall be the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you. And... One of the things that I know is that as we begin to trust that God is a God who, who really has blessing, that children are blessing, that, a, that a marriage is a blessing, that your wife is a blessing, that we're going to begin to understand what God's doing more. You know, this Father's Day I was going to preach, and when I went to preach, the Lord just stopped me and He told me I had to preach a Father's Day sermon, which I really don't do. I don't usually preach that. I preach the liturgy of the day or the word of the day. And he started talking to me, he just reminded me of Proverbs 23.10, and he started talking to me about moving ancient boundary stones, ancient boundary places. And one of the things that, that has happened, there are certain things that you just don't do. It says, you know, you do not move ancient boundary stones because those things tell us where the boundaries are. And fatherhood has been moved. It's an ancient boundary stone. It's not a cultural boundary stone. It's not a timeless, a, a time-sensitive you know, man not being in charge of the family or not taking responsibility for his family. That's a sin that we've allowed us, even in the church, to get moved. And God wants that to be set back in place. He says that's an ancient boundary stone of which we can't do. You know, I was, can, he, he reminded me very quickly that morning of, of uh, Joseph, and he has a dream and very quickly in the dream, he sees the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And he knows, he says it to his parents, he says it to his brothers and sisters, and they know immediately that the sun represents the father and the moon represents the mother. And they're going to be bowing down to Joseph and how, why is this happening and all these things. And, you know, the, 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 the idea of family that God says your wife is going to be a vine is a place where if she's the moon, she's reflecting the sun. If you're the sun, it comes from God, that you're reflecting these things and there's an order and a purpose of which God's put into place. And when a family doesn't have a father or a mother, then we see them as orphans or, or, or widows and we see this and, the, and know the mandate of the church is to stand with them because there's a piece that's missing. And God bless you if you're in that situation or you've come from that situation. It doesn't make it evil, it just means it's harder. It's not necessarily the standard. And so, what I believe is that God is calling us to be people who see the standard that a husband's to stand in his place; that he's not to just go to work and provide money, but he's to oversee and be a priest in his own house. And that if the little churches run well, the big church is going to it's going to it's going to thrive. That we're to be people that just don't give up; that that we we trust that a wife is going to be fruitful. Uh, you know, I really believe that. Proverbs 31 is a little more about the church than any individual woman, but it gives us such a great picture of, of an industrious wife, one who believes and has faith and is on the mission, and it's not submission like, you better do exactly what I say, it's more like submission, that we're on a mission together and there's a submission to carry out this part of it, and a strong home is part of the mission. A strong home and a good table where you can bring other people that are hurting and dying and falling apart and then they can come and see a standard of what God's raising up and they can start to say, I didn't believe it could be like this. I didn't believe that people loved each other. I didn't believe that families even ate together. I didn't believe they sat together. I didn't believe that, that they listened to each other. That children actually liked their parents. And that parents actually liked their children. See, we've called to raise a banner up in a place and a time that's very that's very hard sometimes, I believe, to see that. We're called to bring that, that place together. And one of the ways that I believe with a family is, is that as you raise up your family to believe, as you raise up um, your family of your church to believe, that others are going to see it and be attracted to it. There's an attraction that starts to happen as we build things. There's a there's a saltiness that others are looking for flavor from. There's a there's a dimension of heaven and a reality. It's really cool when young people pray. It's really cool when old people pray. But it's really cool when young people pray, and they pray with an authority and a power that older people, older people are going, they're realizing they're childlike, that they've, they've been walking around and, and, and not known a God, or believed in a God like these young people do. They go, how do they know all this? Because they believe. Because they've sought the Holy Spirit, that they've fostered His presence in their life, and that they truly believe that if they pray these things, that God's going to do some major acts. I believe that the CEC is really poised for growth. I believe especially in America. I know we've been shaken down. and We've gone through some divisions and things like that. I don't think they're that, although painful, I don't think they're that uncommon to new works of God. And I don't think they're that uncommon to armies being raised up. It always makes me think of Gideon's army, you know, that that God starts shaving it down to a certain size. Because the thing that God wants to do is he's willing to take, it's not how many people... It's that he's willing to take faithful people and show his glory. He's willing to take faithful people and show his glory. One of the things that happens with Gideon is he takes them up on the top of a mountain. He was one of the judges of Israel. He takes them up and he tells them to put these torches within these earthen vessels. And they're the, like clay jars. And he says, when I tell you, say, for God and for Gideon, and break these jars, and the light comes out. And all the enemies go into that place of confusion in the valley and start turning on themselves. And that's exactly what happened. As they break those things, the army inside starts to see the light, the army in the valley, and they actually even turn on themselves in confusion. One of the things we're fighting and contending with in many ways is a, is a, is a belief a, that, or, or a confusion. There's a spirit of confusion over this country. And you know what? If you've got truth and you believe truth and you speak truth, people that are confused are going to be drawn to you. Because they're looking for something that's real. Something they can hold on to. Something they can believe. I believe that God wants to do a major and and mighty thing. He wants to teach us that through sacrifice we can have obedience. What do I mean by that? Well, to be obedient doesn't mean just saying yes. Sometimes to be obedient you've got to line your life up to be ready to be obedient. You got to start making provision for obedience. You got to make a home for obedience, just like the home has to be a culture of love within the in the in the in the home. The church has to be a place like that, that. That obedient people have to be looking. They have to be looking outward. Who's the visitor? How can I help? Where can I go? Whose kids can I help with? Who needs, you know? How do we help each other? It's got to get off of that. We got to kill that. It's all about me program. We've got to start to rise up as the family of God. And if we rise up as the family of God, we become an army of God. And as we become an army of God, we see defeat happen and we see enemies scatter. He's a bully. He's not really going to do anything if you stand up to him. Oh, he'll fight. You might have to resist him two or three times, but he will move he will move he will move most of what he does is smoke and mirrors most of what he does is puffs himself up to show himself bigger than he is most of what he's doing is trying to act like it's an equal war that's not been determined we got to practice not getting distracted we got to practice not getting distracted especially by politics It's not going to change the world. The church will. The church will. You know, I just think about it, whether you go, you know, as we've been here in Vegas, I thought, what what vision those old mobsters had to come in the middle of a desert and build this? I mean, seriously. Would you have fought for this land here? I mean, it's beautiful. But I wouldn't exactly have thought this, you know, I want to be a city planner here. And I thought about the other places, Disney, down in Orlando. i spent time down there over the years. It was a swamp. It was a swamp that Disney had the vision to go buy cheap swampland and transform a whole place. Well, where's the church's vision? If God can make meccas in the middle of deserts and swamps, what can we do? Can we take dry places and turn them into places of springs? Places where your church is a place where people want to travel to and come to because there's water of life, there's life in that place, there's healing in that place, there's an anointing in that place, there's a cultivation of the presence of God there, that the Eucharist, there's power. I don't know what happens, but when I come up there in that rail and I receive that little wafer, something happens inside of me. When that priest prays over me, when those people sing, when God, when these people pray, that God shows up. And I can't explain it but I just know this, that when people do that, all the other stuff goes away. Their ideologies go away. Their, 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 their atheism goes away. Their, their other isms go away. And they begin to go, what did I just meet here? Because I cannot explain it. But something happened here. Amen? One of the things that um, we have, our youth group, that's really moving. It's it's doing well. Our young people are really rocking and, and moving forward. And you know, um, I'm raised. I've raised up one of my sons, Avery, my second son. He just was married about a year ago, and he's kind of the youth pastor now, and um, he's doing a great job. And he and my son Caleb spoke a few weeks ago at the youth group, and Caleb's just started talking like like Caleb and Joshua. Let's take some land. And then Avery spoke, and when he spoke, he started talking about a football analogy. And I don't know if any of you have played football, but he gave this really good word. He started talking about for the guys that have been standing a long time, the guys that have been, he says, you get to the fourth quarter and the line is just exhausted. They've been fighting. The linemen are big. They've been standing there. They've been fighting. They've been taking that frontal attack. And he says, a lot of our leaders in the church, a lot of the older guys in the church have been just standing and holding the place and not letting the line fail and not, gi- and not giving up and just standing there and contending. And he says, I'm not a big guy, but I was made a linebacker. And he says, my job as a linebacker was to watch the line. And where the line started to fail, where there started to be a gap, what happens is the, the offensive line is going to try to do a play. And When they go to do a play, they're going to start to create a gap somewhere. And where that gap is, whether it's A gap, B gap, whatever the gap is, you're looking. And he says, my coach taught me. And he says, a coach is a lot like a, a football coach can be a lot like a drill sergeant. You know, they, they yell at you and remind you of things. And he said, my coach would yell at me and he would say, Avery, when you find that gap, run into it. Just run into the gap and help the line that's getting tired. Find a way. Get in that gap. And he says, it was really hard because he wasn't a big linebacker. So he would say, okay, I'm just going to do it. And he would run with full speed into a gap. And he says, what if no one's there? And he says, I don't care. As long as you're at 100% trying to fill a gap, it's okay. If if the play's not there, that's not your fault. Your job is to see a gap. Nobody else can tell you. You're going to see a gap, and you run into it. And he says, you know, sometimes you would run into it and find a guy my size coming the other way. And he says, it would hurt. But you know what? If you go fast and you hit that gap, you'll knock something back. And I just started thinking about that. He was talking about our leaders in the church. and He was talking about how as younger people that you can just jump up and find a gap and fill it in. You can hit that gap and help the line hold. And you can begin to, to push things. And I really believe that was a strong word for the church. It's why I'm sharing it with you today is because I really believe we have to believe when we see a gap to run into it. we we got to hold some people up. It's been a long game. You know, it's a, for some people, you know, it's a it's a tough second half. I remember football is just such a weird sport because they start two a days in August, and you know, it's it's hard to do two a days of practice, you know, and it's hard to have full equipment on, and it's 95 degrees out in Maryland and 89 uh, percent humidity. And you're just sweating and you can't drink enough electrolytes and you can't drink enough water and you're doing this and by the end of the season you're freezing. You know, it's it's football season, your breath's out there, and now you wish you had more clothes on, you know. And football's a, a wild thing that way, but I really believe that that God's saying to us is that as we press, that even though we've been through some of the summer of this, that God's gonna bring a good season to us. And I really believe that He wants us to become people who bless what He's doing. He wants us to be people who believe Him who believe Him for more than we've seen. Everybody asked me what I was going to talk about when I got up here. I said, I think I'm going to pray in tongues for ten minutes and wait for an interpretation. (laughs) Because you're all charismatics. I believe that if you've been discouraged, if you've been Feeling like, man, I just keep getting beat. Nothing's happening. I I really pray that you go back from here and rise up. Do something. Fill a gap. Pray. Start to believe God for some little area. Start to believe God that there's plenty of people around you that need Him. Start to not be afraid to speak. You know? One of the gifts we've been given and the heritage we've been given by our founding patriarch was political correctness is not the problem. We don't have to worry about that. If people are hungry and dying and hurting, don't worry about that. They don't believe it anyway. It's just, begin to speak into their situation. Don't worry about confronting something. If someone's struggling, stand with them. But you don't have to agree with them. I just believe that in a world that is confused, it's a time for fathers. It's a time for mothers. It's a time to stand in a place and just say, this is the way. And many are going to not hear you. Most of the seed doesn't fall on good ground. You're going to labor with people, and you're going to go through seasons with them, and they're going to walk away. That's not your problem. Your problem is to keep laboring. Work with them. Allow God, you don't know which ones are the good seed. You don't know which ones are going to be the fertile ground. You don't know which ones are the ones that are going to stand here in a couple of years and, and be leading all of us. We don't know that. Sometimes they look like the worst seed. Sometimes they look like rebellious seed like I was. God's going to do some things that, that begins to change things and transform things as we believe and as we have faith. And God moves, the Holy Spirit moves upon faith. So if you don't have a work or a church, go to someone who does and, and help them. Pray for them. Bring them faith. Bring, pray that their faith increases, their wisdom increases. Help draw people to their church. Help build that situation there. If you're, if you're a pastor, equip the saints. Don't keep the young people out of the church. Put them in places now. I mean, as it's appropriate, but raise them up. We have a second youth team that's all young people that are playing music. And I'm telling you... Um, I won't say it this way. They're really anointed. They're really anointed. They really love the Holy Spirit. They're readers in the church. They're ministers. They're out in the streets. They're talking to people. They're praying with people. They're going to colleges and places you can't go. They're they're doing things with young people. I mean, they hear all kinds of things. When you lead a youth group, you're talking to people whose friends are cutting themselves and considering suicide. And I mean, they're they're drugged up they're they're doing things on the internet they're they're believing things they're they're every kind of weird thing that's out there they have friends that are that are are, are changing gender they have friends that are just they're facing all kinds of stuff we didn't face because the church has been quiet as the gates have opened you know when i was a kid we didn't think about somebody walking into school and shooting it up in fact most of the time we had guns in our cars and trucks it just was not something you ever thought about, going and shooting someone. They live in a different world, but you know what? They're also the light is much brighter in that darkness. And we can can bolster them. They need to be in the church now. It's not, they're in the battle. The battle's real. It's raging around them. Find them a place. Get them involved. Listen to them. Raise them up. Pray for vocations in your churches. Pray for new vocations to come forward. Priests, and people that are going to serve Christ's body and are going to lead, teachers, evangelists, prophets, that these things would rise up within the church. I believe the CEC has been given a, a great mandate, and I believe we've been given an opportunity to foster this. I believe that at the, last, the end of the last century, that God had gone through Azusa Street forward the last hundred years, that He went into churches and said, can, I, can the Holy Spirit come here? Can the Holy Spirit lead here? And I think very few places said yes at all. Some said yes, maybe the basement office room, or maybe, maybe you can come here. But I believe that God said, okay, I'm going to raise up a people that will allow my presence and foster my presence. And I believe that that's who we are. I believe that's who we are. I believe that's our inheritance. I believe it's our inheritance to see this come forward. I believe it's our inheritance to speak these things and be a witness. And I believe many others are going to come to see that convergence and that government, that consensus government where God's spirit's allowed to move, where the streams of Christianity are brought together, where you can see the power of the liturgy together with the power of the Spirit and the power of a born-again experience, that all those things don't have to be separate, that the Scriptures are real and alive, and that they make sense in that sense, that we can set the table and others will come. And I, I don't mean that in let's build it and they'll come. I mean it, though, that we have to believe it and shine it, and others will be attracted to that light. One of the things the church should always do is ask Christ what he wants his church to look like. And when you really stop and ask him, you know, we can look at John 17, the high priestly prayer, but we can always know that one of the things it wants to display is the Trinity. The Trinity life, that communal life, once it needs to be displayed within the church. So this morning, the thing that I want you to take away, the thing that I want you to do, is just a, a spirit of hope and belief that the scriptures are real and that the things that God has done in them He will still do, that He will do it. One of the things we're doing in our church, that's raising it up an army, is we we have healing services once a month, and we get people from every stripe of Christendom. We get orthodox catholics baptists non-denominational every every branch and people who come and god does amazing things and they carry it back into their church they have to go tell what happened, why they don't have cancer anymore, or why this happened, or why that happened. And God's beginning to do those things. And I believe that as we set our mark in not only looking inwardly to figure out how we can help our church, but how we help the church, that God's going to move on that. And He's going to take that spirit that's not inward and selfish and start to use it and spread it. I'd just like to close with a prayer. Father, We just take these things that have been given this morning and, Lord, I just pray that you'd make them real. That if anyone's feeling like, man, I missed that time with my kids and I didn't pray, or this didn't happen, or that didn't happen, or maybe it's not come out right. That, God, there would be no condemnation. Lord, we do invite conviction, the places you want to convict us and change us. But condemnation we reject. But God, we just do pray that we would be people of uh, vision, great vision, that we would start to rise up with a hope and a belief that you're ready and able to do amazing things in America. That God, it's just not the southern hemisphere, but you want to work in the northern hemisphere. You want to work in this nation of ours. You want to work in this place of ours. God, we just see a pandemic of people dying of overdoses and all kinds of things. And God, we know that You are bigger than addiction. Oh God, we know that You're bigger than racism. We know that You're bigger than dysfunctionality and brokenness. And that God, You can turn a nation to You. We pray for this nation and we pray for Your church.